0: All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Refuge. I was thinking about one of the songs that we sung. Mary, did you know that you're a baby boy? Right? And um, no, of course she didn't know. Right? She's not God. And uh, she uh, she was blessed by being uh, the one who gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ, and she will always be remembered in that way. Which is a wonderful, can you imagine? Can you imagine being just one of Jesus' brothers? Yeah, probably wouldn't be good. Well, compared to Jesus, right? But But all of those things had a purpose. The reason why Jesus did the things that He did as far as the miracles that He performed were all to point to His deity, to the fact that He was the Son of God. In fact, in John chapter 20, verse 30, you know, sometimes if you're looking for the purpose or the reason why certain books are written, oftentimes they're found, the reason is found within the pages of those books. You just have to look for it, right? Right? Why was the gospel of John written? written? Well, we see here in chapter 20, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so that's the reason. As you look to his miracles, it's not to... um, elevate the miracle itself, but it's to elevate the one who performed the miracles to that place, which he rightly should have in our lives to where he is Lord and Savior. And so I was just thinking about that, how it is that that is the very place that we should regard him as having in our lives as we go into the celebration of Christmas, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um. I was, um, I was wrestling for the last couple days. Um, I was prepared to prepare and deliver to you a, a Christmas message. One that was um, special, just something um, to really uh, capture why it is that we're coming together and celebrating Christmas. And yet the Holy Spirit... Uh, kept, uh, kept drawing me away from that and back to our study through the letter to the Galatians of the Apostle Paul. And so um, with that, I can't but follow what the Lord has given me. And so this morning, we're going into Galatians chapter 2. One thing as we're going into uh, the continue, continuing the study of Galatians um, is the love for the Word of God. Um, the, uh, the freshness of His Word, the amazing wisdom that we can draw from it, and really the knowledge as we gain from it apply it to everyday life. The things that we are faced with, uh, confronted with, um, is, is before us. But it, it's truly exciting because we draw closer to the Lord in an understanding of Him as we seek to glorify Him in our lives. There's this book that I'm about to read, I haven't read it yet, but this guy by the name of Bob Kirkland, he is a Baptist pastor from Ontario, Canada. In 1955, at the age of 12, he received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Bob explains, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 and he goes on to say, For me, everything became new, especially a new burning desire to study the Word of God. At the writing of this book, I'm 75 years old and still have that burning desire to study His Word. If the Lord gives me those years, I too want to be just as excited as that brother in Christ is with a study of the Word of God, to be excited about, about it, just right along with them. And, uh, and so I, I hope that that is how you are approaching this morning. Excited to come together and simply sit at the Lord's feet, who we worship and praise and glorify, and just receive from Him, glean from Him those things that He has to say to the church, to His people, that we may come to understand it and apply it to our lives, to His glory. So I'm dealing with with a, a topic this morning, uh, which is pretty light. Um, you know, and the title of this morning's message, I think, gives it all. Confronting hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, not light at all, right? <laughs> Boy, we were hoping for a nice, kind of easy Christmas message. <laughs> Well, I, I hope he just came expecting the Word of God. After all, our, our catchphrase, the, the one that kind of sums up who we are, is the word spoken, Jesus known. And so that's who we are. Simply said, we go through the Word of God, and this morning is no different. So let's start out by reading Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Heavenly Father, there are so many lessons to be learned in this small section of your word. But I pray, Lord, that we would not sit back in our seats and And agree, Lord, that we, like Paul, would like to confront a Peter in our lives. No, Lord. We oftentimes are found in the same place as Peter. We reflect that attitude in some way, shape, or form. And so I pray, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to see what you would have us to understand. Lord, that as we are approaching the celebration of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we proclaim to follow, be led by, and be governed by, that You would reveal any hypocrisy in our own lives. That that would enable us to repent, to confess those things and repent of those things. Give them to you. And Lord, just cast off that burden and walk freely with you and love on others as you love them. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We do ask for your blessing. We do ask for your anointing and for your spirit to give us an understanding of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, um, the title of the message was Defending the Integrity of the Gospel. That was a message in which Paul was strongly opposing the false brethren that spied out the freedom of the Christians so that they might accuse Paul and uh, the other brethren of violating the law and requiring them to fall in line with it once again. And Paul described what they were doing as attempting to bring them back into slavery. Under the bondage, uh, under the chains, basically, of the law. That was what we were dealing with last week. What was Paul's response to this all, what they were trying to do? Well, he said in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul, we know to him it was extremely important it was critical that the integrity of the gospel be maintained and be fought for and be defended it wasn't something to be taken lightly in fact we know that from last week's study that Paul referred to them even as false brethren what we have before us this morning is a continuation a continuation of Paul's defense of the gospel But it's not from any attack from without. But the very same gospel that had been accepted and deemed sound by James, Cephas, John, and John in Jerusalem. From within. Now we'll travel from Jerusalem to Antioch and to a time when hypocrisy was confronted. Not just for the sake of the hypocrisy itself, but because of what it was undermining. The gospel of Jesus Christ which Paul, Peter, and Barnabas knew very well. We're all going we're, we're to see their lives here and uh, how they were all involved in the situation this morning. As Christians, we are held to a higher standard. Not by each other. Not by people, not by men, but by God. That is why... We ought to always conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy with the salvation that we have come to know, to glorify and please and honor the Lord that we claim to follow. That is, we are held responsible to live what we know to be right according to the Word of God. If we don't, then that person that is living contrary to it, especially knowingly, will have to answer for it before God But in the meantime, it will lead many people astray, lead many people into areas of problems the longer it is left uncorrected. We will see this morning how that can happen and was already happening within the situation when Paul confronted Peter. What Peter was doing was misrepresenting the gospel, causing some to question it, and others, unfortunately, to be misled. And so... Again, verses 11 and 12 say, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the first thing that we see here is hypocrisy revealed. Paul tells of a time when he confronted Peter in Antioch, because he was guilty of hypocrisy. So he stood condemned, meaning that he was guilty. There's no question about it. He stood condemned. And in so doing, he was misrepresenting the gospel. And if we're misrepresenting the gospel, we're misrepresenting God in the end. And this was not something to be taken lightly. And the Apostle Paul did not take it lightly. Bless you. what did Peter do that was so wrong that it drew such a strong response from Paul? I mean, if you think about it, we live in a day to where confrontation, mm, well, we kind of draw our hand from that, don't we? We rarely confront. But we have such thin skin. Oh, I don't want to offend. That that word... uh, you know, it really brings compromise within relationships to a point to where we're no longer who we ought to be. (laughs) Paul referred to Peter as condemned, which again did not mean condemned to hell, but condemned as guilty of what Paul was pointing out was wrong. And I'm wondering, you know, if there was a Paul in your life that came and pointed something out to you, Would you receive it? Why? Because you stand condemned of whatever it is that is being revealed in your life. How would you take it? That would really tell a lot about your character. What Peter did is that before the Jews came, Peter would freely fellowship He would freely break bread and even participate in communion with the Gentiles. Imagine that, right? This is what he would do with the Gentile believers. But when the Jews came, he separated himself from the Gentiles. And it is implied that he joined those of the circumcision party. So he drew back. He separated himself from something that he had commonly done up to that point. When those of the circumcision party came... And he joined them and shunned the Gentile believers. But it was more than a separation of which we will learn in a few moments how this meant, why it was that this meant so much. It was more than just, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go hang out with these guys for a while. No, that, that's not what that was. That's not what this was. It wasn't a, a separation for a moment. It was, it was drawing a division, a contrast. It was implying something much greater than just what we see on the surface. Peter knew better, not because Paul said so, but because God said so. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. This is why he knew better. I'm not going to read through, but you can jot down in your notes, Acts chapter 10 and read through chapter 11 as well. This was a time when um, there were a couple visions that were given, one was um, to Peter, and this was uh, basically, uh, well, I'll just read it. Verse 9, chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being led down, let down by its four corners upon the earth. was bewildered. He was perplexed, as we see in the next verse. He was wondering what this meant. What was it? And it's interesting that as we, as we continue verse, uh, in verse 17, Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were uh, sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Now, this was because Cornelius, who was a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort, a devout man feared by God, a fear, who feared God, had this vision of sending for Peter, specifically in this manner, in which we are seeing right now, to call him to his home. And so, here are these men, and they're asking for Peter, And while Peter was pondering verse 19, the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Imagine that rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion and upright and God fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house And to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Now this was a Gentile that was inviting a Jew to the house. It didn't happen in those days. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives, close friends, and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted lifted him up, saying, "'Stand up, I too am a man.' And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, "'You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation.'" But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? So Peter knew better. I I read to you that story because we want to make sure that we understand this situation here that Paul was addressing. We understand a little bit better because Peter had already been told by the Lord, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Not, do not call it uncommon if I've called it... He's already been told. He knew better. And you can continue on reading. It's interesting. Let me just tell you this, that Barnabas, Barnabas, because he's, he's involved in this whole situation too, this confrontation. Barnabas was a man who was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to find out what was going on there, because so many Gentiles were coming to faith. And indeed, that was was what was going on. And God was glorified. So it was accepted, it was received, it was known, both by Barnabas and by Peter, that there was to be no separation. Now, we don't know exactly who these men were that came that were a part of the circumcision party. But we do know the influence they had on Peter, and it was not a good one. We, we do know that Barnabas was there. They came from James. But we don't know exactly who they were. But we know the influence that they had, and it was not a good one. So it is either that they were not part of the group that Peter had addressed in Jerusalem... Of what had taken place with Cornelius in Caesarea, or they themselves had been convinced contrary to what they had concluded when Peter told them about Cornelius. It says in Acts 11:18, "When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, "Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life." Now these are the very same Jews that had in, initially criticized. The Apostle Paul for having gone to I mean, I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter for going and uh, to Cornelius' home. But then he told him, This is what's going on, this is what happened, this is the vision that I was given by God, and this is what they concluded with. Why did Peter draw back and separate himself from the Gentile believers? Fear. Fear of the circumcision party. Peter was afraid of offending these men, and because of that, he treated the Gentile believers as if they weren't believers at all. That that's why this division was impactful. It was no doubt it was confusing to the Gentile believers. They're looking at Peter, thinking, Wow, you were so chummy with us. It's like a moment ago. And now you're acting like as if you don't even know us. That can be very confusing. You ever shunned someone? Have you ever been shunned? That's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. But it was all because of fear. Peter was afraid of offending the wrong person. Remember that this is after Pentecost. Pentecost. I want to remind you of that, too. I was thinking about it. Well, you know, Peter's been filled with the Spirit. He's come to salvation. He knows. This is after. After the Spirit fell upon the believers, and it was after Peter preached and 3,000 souls were saved. This issue of fear was what impacted Peter before, and it seems to still be present. If you think that whatever impacted you before, whatever it was that was a weakness of yours before you came to Christ is not present with you today, you're sadly mistaken. (laughs) It's there. It's the very thing that you should be aware of, that you should really guard yourself of. The issue of fear definitely impacted Peter before it seemed, and it still seems to be present. While he fails to bring the flesh under subjection to the Spirit, Peter told Jesus not to go to the cross. Peter told Jesus that he was not going to wash him. You remember, No, not you, Lord. He said, Oh. After he was was explained, Well, if you don't allow me to do this, you're not one of mine. Oh, (laughs) Give me a shower. No, 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 just just your feet. You're already clean. It was Peter that told Jesus that he was not going to wash him. And it was also Peter that sunk in the water with fear of what he saw around him, even though when he asked the Lord if he could come out and walk on water, he told him, come. Peter denied Jesus three times because of who was he fearing? He was fearing other people more than he was fearing God. we ought to the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is a fear of God that, that 's where it all begins. please note also at this point there were just as many Jews uh, that were believers as there were Gentiles that were believers, and so we have this strong mix in this this uh, really Impact of two cultures coming together. In fact, all kinds of different cultures coming together. As you see believers coming from all walks of life. And so it posed a great problem. It caused some issues among the brethren, which we see here. But Paul did address the issue here, and thus the Word of God speaks and settles it. Peter knew that God did not require the Gentiles to come under the law, and that Peter was not to treat them as he had in times past, as unclean people who were to be avoided at all costs. I believe we must be reminded that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. This is a strong message to all that the Son of God did not strictly conform to the traditional practices of separation, of separating from the Gentiles. That's what the Jews up to that point had practiced. So Jesus himself, that's why he, he um, shocked many people. You know, it's like you're eating with, with the publicans, with the tax collectors, with sinners. Oh. That's, that's how they felt. Like that, that's, that's gross, Jesus. That's not what should be. And so what we have here, beginning in these two verses, is that hypocrisy is revealed. And next we have the impact of this hypocrisy. Verse 13 says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The impact of leadership is very real. The influence of what is taught is far-reaching and deeply impacting. Paul addresses the impact of Peter's hypocrisy. Others, what, what, what is the impact? What's the harm? Well, others are following your lead, Peter. Others are following right along with you. From what we see here, there were others there that were Jews. From what we see here, Barnabas was there too. Peter drew back and separated himself. The Jews followed and did the same. And then even Barnabas did the very same thing. Barnabas. This is what is possible and does happen when one person does something that is not right. And others don't have the confidence to stand up to it. Or maybe sometimes the knowledge, the understanding of it, and just simply confront the issue. Any one of the other Jews could have confronted Peter, but they didn't. Barnabas could have confronted Peter, but he didn't. Let's be reminded of Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, which says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Remember that Barnabas, Barnabas, oh Barnabas, the encourager. He was a champion of the Gentiles. He was an advocate of the Gentiles. Barnabas was the one who sought Paul out and introduced him to the brethren, and he advocated for them. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. If Satan can lead leaders in the wrong direction, he knows that many will be impacted and many will follow that path. It's not, could be, I don't know, maybe. They should know better. No, no, no. No, no, no. Satan knows the game. Satan knows that if, if he can get a leader to be deceived in even the smallest way, then he can lead a whole bunch of other people a lots of them. Lots. Satan does not need to mess with each person individually. You know what? If I can take out the head, the rest will follow. Oh, he just needs to get the teacher, the preacher, the pastor, the youth leader, the deacon, the elder the overall ministry leader, children's ministry teachers, Bible study group leader, and anyone who has influence over others to be convinced that certain sins are respectable sins. Or can be tolerated and compromised with just a bit. And he or she will teach that to others and others will follow that very same thing. Leadership carries great responsibility toward God, first and foremost, and toward others, because when we allow ourselves to go astray, then others also will be led astray. And as we see here, it wasn't anyone who didn't know better. Not, not just anyone, just okay, he's just learning. no. That's what's amazing. It's, it's amazing to see that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnas, Barnabas was just as guilty as Peter. He was right along with them. Hypocrisy revealed. Hypocrisy followed. But then also we have hypocrisy confronted. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas before them all, If ye, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Before them all. A public confrontation of a public act of hypocrisy. Why was it so serious to Paul? Again, why, why did he have to deal with it publicly? I just doesn't it just doesn't sit well. I don't like it. People can say whatever they want publicly, but how dare we confront them publicly? Then we are the we are the bad guys, right? If you call them out publicly? Aren't they preaching publicly? Right? Well, that's a whole other area, right? The answer is in what we see here in verse 14. This is why. Again. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, there is your answer. That's why Paul was strongly opposing and publicly condemning what Peter was doing. This is why. The gospel was being presented falsely by their actions, that of Peter, Barnabas, and the other Jews that were with them, and they were being hypocrites. They were putting on a different mask, acting as a different person. How? How? by their actions, drawing back and separating from the Gentiles. They were declaring that the Gentiles were unsaved. That's what they were doing. Now we are back to the false brethren who had snuck into the fellowship to bring them back under the law, back in verse 4 of chapter 2, which Paul said they did not yield in submission to them even for a moment. If he didn't yield to them even for a moment, why would we think that Paul would yield to Peter and Barnabas and to the other Jews for a moment? He would not. He stood up to the others. He will. He will stand up to Peter also. And he did. So Paul knew what it was like to be pressed and experience criticism by the circumcision. Those of the circumcision. He knew that. Uh, He's not talking from theory. But from knowledge and experience, I, I know how it is to to be pressed on all sides to, to be uh, you know make an attempt on you to be deceived, to be misled um, I, I know that Peter i've been there, done that i've experienced it. you don't have to fall to it so when Paul saw that what they were actually requiring for salvation was that they fall under the requirements of the law and then they would receive salvation. He pointed it out as not being in step with the truth of the gospel. He says, that, that's not the truth of the gospel. That's not right. What you're imposing on them, requiring them to observe. Can you imagine the scene? I, I mean, he did this before the others. I'm sure it was pretty tense. Very tense. You know, when you get tense, you know, your shoulders, you know, you feel some pressure and your body just becomes rigid. I'm sure there were many there who was like, whoo. There's <laughs> Paul and Peter's just listening right now. And Barnabas. Not saying a peep, Right. Tension. What a scene. But why a public confrontation? Why not private? Why not just pray about it? Pray for them. I hear that often. Don't you? Because Peter's, Barnabas's, and the other Jews... Open offense. It was public. It had to be publicly confronted. They openly and publicly offended and publicly denied the Gentiles, Gentile believers, and most importantly, they openly and publicly denied the truth of the gospel. By the way. Here is further biblical support for publicly confronting publicly taught false doctrine behind the pulpit and by those who claim to be Christian brothers and sisters in other public arenas, books, music, etc. We need to we need to sound the alarm, church. It's like it, it's not hey, it, what was what was uh, screamed from the housetops that was false, and then here we are. No, no, bring it down. Now we're confronting with the whisper. It's to come. Right? No, we shouldn't. We should be more confident and bold in a loving way, just like Paul. Did Paul lack any love? No, not at all. In fact, it was because of love, his love for God and his love for the brethren, that he did these types of things. He did love. And he did it for the love of the gospel and to defend its integrity, even at the cost of a friendship or two or three or more. He was willing to part ways with those that were at one point considered to be close friends. Even Barnabas. Oh, what a close friend. And yet he was willing to confront Barnabas and Peter and the other Jews. And be shunned by the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem for the sake of defending the integrity of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. But then again, a true friend and a brother in the Lord will receive it for what it is, this confrontation, because they are submitted to the word of God and not abandon you because of confrontation. A good friend will take that confrontation and go, faithful are the wounds of a friend that hurt, but I know you love me, or else you wouldn't have brought this to my attention. It may hurt for a while, but at the same time, it brings healing to the soul. It brings you upright right before the Lord. Peter had been eating with the Gentiles up to this point again. Uh, Paul reminded Peter that he had been living like a Gentile, and now he was going to force him to live like Jews? You know, how is that possible? Peter had discarded the Jewish customs while with the Gentiles. But now, out of fear of influential men, he put on a different mask and was compelling the Gentiles to live as Jews. But wait, are are we missing something here? Was Peter telling them that they had to live as the Jews live in order to be saved? Did he actually say those words? Because sometimes we, we, we play with this too, right? Well, I didn't actually say it. They didn't actually say it. Well, not with words. He wasn't doing it with words, perhaps, but with his actions he was and that is evident by what we have before us. There's no question about it. You don't have to say a thing, your actions speak for themselves. And you stand condemned, guilty. Guilty of twisting the gospel to be something it is not. Oh, what a conviction I imagine this is for many. The way we live is either in step with the truth of the gospel or not in step with the truth of the gospel at all. That, that's deep conviction. This is one of those things to where, like I told you, I, I wrestled with the Lord. Lord, but no. If we deal with hypocrisy within the church, if we at this point this morning would humble ourselves before the Lord, in any hypocrisy that is revealed in our lives, we simply confess it to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. He says that, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then from that point as we do that church, as we come and we give that to the Lord, I tell you, we can come to tomorrow and and really with great excitement and great anticipation go into Christmas Day, which is a day in which we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and celebrate it with no reservations without any thought of unkept business with the Lord. It's, it's, it's all laid there. I, I've dealt with these things. Lord, there, there's nothing really that, that really comes to mind. Yes, I'm a sinner. I, I'm, I'm going to fall day in and day out. There are going to be things that I just don't do right. How awesome it would be to come to that day to where we celebrate the Lord and we're the ones going around as people say, well, happy holidays and we're the ones that say, Merry Christmas. Why? Because that's the reason why we're celebrating this day. And yet if we fail to come to that day with just pure hearts, clean hands, can you imagine being able to look the Lord into his eyes and just say, You know what? I, I have nothing unconfessed before you. Then we are missing the whole point. And that's why I felt as I kind of thought about why this message was going to be brought this morning, is for that reason. Let us not be the hypocrites. Let us not stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. Let us not be so prideful that we hold on to, we cling to the sin that we know it's there. And therefore, impact our relationship with the Father. May we come to this Christmas with a clear conscience. Nothing is left undone. Our lives reveal the truth whether we speak or not. In church, it does matter. We impact many lives around us. It matters because we either give a true account of the word of God or we make up our own account of what it is, which would be false if it is anything other than the true account of it. Not our own version. We shouldn't make it up. Why does it matter? We need to know this. Well, why does it matter? What? Uh, what do we do? Right? It matters because we will lead others astray by our hypocrisy. It's not maybe. It's we will. What do we do? We humble ourselves before God. By confessing whatever... It is, that is, hypocrisy in our lives, and then live our lives in step with the truth of the gospel, which is in step with the word of God. That's what the gospel is. That's what Paul is referring to. Uh, It's the whole counsel of God. Be faithful and loyal to God, and you will be a blessing to others, and lead them on the right path. And in the end, God is glorified. And so with that, I say Merry Christmas. And I pray, I do pray, and I hope that this morning, we're going to spend just, just a moment in silence. Just reflect, just ask the Lord. You, you may already think of some things, or one thing, or too many things, right? That, that just need to be confessed to the Lord. You don't need anyone else. You just need to meet with the Lord right now. Confess those things to the Lord. Ask Him for forgiveness. He will forgive you. And then come, like I said, the next couple of days with a clear conscience before the Lord, worshiping and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So a few moments of silence, and then I'll close in prayer. gracious and heavenly father unfortunately these times of quietness are too far and few in between and yet it is so necessary to meet with you to Just pray, hear from you, have fellowship, commune with you. Lord, to once again cry out to you, Abba, Father, to realize that you are closer than a brother. And at the same time, you call us friend. You are also our king. At the same time that you are our King, you are our Savior. But we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, there are no additional requirements to our salvation. The legal requirements for righteousness have been met. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so may we not impose upon anyone else, Lord, our standards. That we may not further burden anyone as far as salvation is concerned. And may the lives that we live not claim one thing and do something else. We would not play the hypocrites. Oh, Lord, there are so many ways that we can do that. Failing to show grace towards someone else. Failing to forgive those around us. Lord, if you forgave us of all that we have been guilty of, who are we to not forgive someone else? How dare we do that? Lord, we can... Hold on to sin like as if it's something worth holding on to. Lord, all it does is impact our relationship with you. Father, help us to just open up these hands, Lord, and just give that to you. Helping us to live before you in in, in a way that is honoring to you. And so, Father, forgive us of our sins. Truly cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Set us right before You. I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves. And Lord, what a mental picture it is to to picture You, to see You, our Lord, girded with a towel, with a bowl of water, cleansing our feet. Oh, the love that you have for us, may it draw us unto you. May we be reminded of it as we come to celebrate Christmas. The birth of our Lord, the birth of our Savior. Thank you so much, God, for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.